What's your favorite Christmas memory? As we've been going through this series, Stories We Tell, I can't help but tell a favorite Christmas memory of mine. I remember growing up, my parents would always label all the presents with Santa. They'd always kind of put a little M&D down below so that we knew that they were writing Santa, but it was really mom and dad in our family who was providing the gifts. And my favorite memory is when I was finally old enough to stay up late and help my dad bring all of the presents out of their great hiding spaces and putting them under the tree. And so I, we pulled presents out of the crawl spaces. We pulled presents out of their closet. We pulled presents out of places. I didn't even know we could hide presents. And my dad had a certain way, too, you know, where, where he'd just stack the, the all, presents all the way around the tree. And so it had this nice continuation of fine point up top and just slowly widen out as you go down. And you just keep widening out the further you Went And I remember being just so excited that I got to stay up late and do that. And then I'd go to bed. And when my sisters woke up the next morning, got to say, yep, I know who put those presents there. And so that's one of just my favorite memories, being able to be the first to do that, stay up late and do all that. As we have looked at this series called Stories We Tell, we're looking at prophecies and promises from the Old Testament and how they are fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. And so what we've seen so far is that the birth of Jesus, God stepping out of heaven, being born as a baby, and the promises that are surrounding this just experience surrounding this event were long awaited. See, Jesus' birth was a way of love, as Sean told us in week one. And last week we showed and we talked about how Jesus provided a way out of the Exodus and a way back to God. And so today we're going to continue to look at how Jesus provides a way that is extended to others. In fact, in this passage today, Jesus loves his fiercest enemies. And in verse 23, we read, it says, Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he will be called a Nazarene. If you have trouble tracking down that Old Testament reference, it's because Matthew is not quoting from just a singular prophet, from a prophet in particular. In fact, none of the prophets ever say precisely he will be called a Nazarene. For that matter, the prophets never even talk about Nazareth in the Old Testament as a place at all. So we may be curious, why does Matthew say this? The key to beginning to understand this complex illusion is Matthew's use of the plural word prophets. Instead of saying, as he has done thus far, this was to fill, fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Here he writes prophets. Matthew has in mind this giant category of b the blending of themes through all of the Old Testament prophets. And what I would say is two ideas in particular that he has blended together in this messianic promise that is now fulfilled in Jesus. 
See, from the time of David onward, the prophets talk a lot about the ultimate Davidic king, often called the son of David. They also talk about a seemingly contrary idea, at least unfathomable to the the Pharisees of Jesus' day, of the Gentiles becoming part of God's people under the rule of God's king. So you have this imagery of this Davidic king, and yet these people who are on the outside, who who were enemies, who, who were not part of God's chosen people, ultimately becoming part of God's family. And so these these two ideas, Matthew begins to connect the dots through Jesus. And so when Matthew says of Jesus in verse 23, he would be called a Nazarene, he's bringing these two ideas together. And here's why I say that. We're going to have a little fun today with a Hebrew word called the, the branch, netzor. So go ahead and say that to, to someone around you. Say, say netzor. This word comes out of Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. It's an important messianic text. He uses this word, word here in Isaiah. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch, netzor, from his roots, and it shall bear fruit. From David's royal line shall come a branch, the Messiah, the promised one, the one who would unite these two seemingly different ideas, these two different people groups, these two groups of people who who were always at odds with one another. Someone would come from this royal line to unite them. And so this town of Nazareth was likely named after Isaiah 11.1. It was originally settled by a remnant of Israel who returned from the exile. They were from David's line and who were thus consciously gave their new settlement a messianic name. They called their town Netzoreth, Nazareth. And I imagine the town named something like, Welcome to the city of the branch. So Matthew is saying that Jesus came from the city of David, Bethlehem, as well as from the people of David, Nazareth. Jesus is the branch. Jesus is the son of David. In fact, he grew up in Nazareth as a Nazarene. And the fact that of this puts an exclamation point on this. The other interesting fact about Nazareth is its location in a region called Galilee. It's a region that had a mix of Jews and Gentiles. And this is why Isaiah called it, and Matthew quotes this later in actually chapter 4, verse 15, Galilee of the Nations. Galilee of the Gentiles. Due to this ethnic diversity, Galilee and Nazareth in particular was looked down upon. We learn throughout the rest of Matthew's gospel and the other gospels that Nazareth was not a very well-respected place. It was at the bottom of the socioeconomic scale, to say the least. Recall maybe John's gospel when Nathaniel heard that Jesus was from Nazareth and he was supposed to be the promised Messiah. And he actually goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was Hicktown. It was the outskirts. It's where you didn't really want to live. Likely they had an accent. And Nathaniel was looking for the Jewish Messiah who he assumed wouldn't come from that region of the world. And ah, Matthew says in verse 23, think again. He begins to 
to burst kind of the, the preconceived notion about who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Because Nazarenes were scorned, they were derided, they were looked down upon and generally despised. And what's so amazing is that here in the midst of the anticipation of this Davidic king and the scorn for a people, in this tension, standing in this gap, is Jesus. He brings peace between these two groups of people. And peace that he brings is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of wholeness, of ultimate wellness. And you know what's amazing is throughout the Old Testament, this idea of scorn is all over the prophets. And most famously, likely in Isaiah 53, where the prophet says of Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, and we didn't value him. And that seems to be what Matthew is getting at. The king who has come is going to be rejected by the world. He will be a Nazarene. People will look down on him. They will think that he is not worthy and he is not worth it. He will be scorned. But that this is actually good news in the end. Because Jesus brings peace. See, Jesus stands in the gap. He brings the, this peace, this wholeness, this, this wellness between groups at odds. And I think most importantly, Jesus came to bring peace between us and God and us and others. And if we think about peace not being the absence of conflict, but actually standing in the gap, bridging the, the, the tension between opposite or seemingly opposite parties, I think we get a great picture. Here, here's what I mean by that. If, if, I, if I had a rubber band right here and began to, to pull at this rubber band, what, what, that, what I would be doing is I, w- I would be causing tension And if I pulled hard enough on the rubber band, eventually the rubber band would snap because it's being pulled into opposite directions. Often in our world, we feel like we're being pulled in opposite directions. We're we're supposed to be be pulled towards the way of Jesus, but yet the the way of the world, the brokenness, the, the overwhelming nature of this moment seems to be pulling us in an opposite way that says, think about yourself. Protect yourself. Fight. Give in to the, the hype. Be frustrated. And in this tension, we, we, we experience complaining. We complain as we undergo the, this, this tension. We, we become anxious. And, and we're always prone to worry as, as we feel pulled in these different directions. And, and we wonder, is there any peace? Is there any resolution? Is there, is there a way that we can stop being pulled in these different directions? And what's amazing is how Jesus and his embodiment of peace shows us how we can actually withstand the tension. Tension is, is part of actually a building uh, just analogy that I want to bring out. See, suspension bridges. 
they actually rely on tension to withstand the pressure of all the traffic going over them. But how they withstand the tension of all the traffic going over them is not by simply bearing the tension alone, but ultimately being anchored to central posts that are then compressed so that the tension those wires that are hanging feel as traffic goes and as more cars go over them, that it, they are actually able to bear the weight because something else is being compressed. See, for us, we are able to, to bear tension in this world because Jesus was born and he was ultimately compressed for our sake. He was crushed for our sin. He was, he was murdered for our iniquities. And we are able to stand in the gap, in, in the overwhelming moments of this world, not because we can bear the weight alone, but because we're anchored to someone who was crushed for us, who was already scorned, who already laid down his life, who already sacrificed himself for his enemies, who's ultimately gone before us and borne the weight of tension. And ultimately, our tension is dispersed and able to be withstood because of Jesus being compressed. See, the king of the universe has come to save us. He has come to love us and show us a way that can be extended to others. And from the start, he is defied and derided, but by the very people he came to save. Whether it's Herod, the chief priests, or the scribes, they are all setting themselves up against Jesus as his enemies. And the reality is, we do the same thing. Even in the most stories we love, even in the biblical stories, you have a good guy and a bad guy. And of course, we love to identify ourselves with the good guy. In, the, in some ancient biblical stories, think about maybe David and Goliath, or Cain and Abel, or, or Pharaoh and Moses, Esau and Jacob, and likewise in Matthew 2, we've got good guys and bad guys. The good guys are the wise men, Joseph, Mary, and the bad guys, King Herod, and the Jewish religious leaders who don't want a new king. We have to ask ourselves, whom do we identify with more? Who do you identify yourself with more? And if we're honest, at the core of who we are, probably we identify most with is King Herod. Instead of bowing in full surrender before the ultimate king, before for a baby, for God incarnate in Jesus, we're actually afraid of how Jesus is going to invade our world invade our lives, our plans, and our desires. The reality is that in our minds and in our hearts, we all have rejected him. We all pursue peace through comfort and power or avoidance rather than surrender to Jesus and exist in attention that says, I can't do this on my own. I need you. And the way in which we surrender to Jesus, the way in which we exist in the tension, the way in which we ultimately find peace is understand that we all live in, our, in this world 
under our own will and our own way. And that's us whom Jesus came to save. See, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, Jesus stepped out of heaven and was born a baby. He, he brought peace between us and God. Ultimately, when he was crucified on the cross and rose powerfully from the dead. And in our pursuit of peace through comfort, power, and avoidance, we ultimately reject him being compressed for us. And we settle for ease of tension in our lives through other means. Peace with others starts with peace with God. And ultimately, I think sometimes that we allow our insecurities to devour us, to to paralyze us from truly stepping into difficult situations, to awkward situations, to bring the peace that Christ has offered to us with God to others. So unless the peace of God begins to be delivered to others through us, unless we're able to to build that bridge, to, to hold that tension by relying on Christ and not allowing our insecurities to devour us or to prevent us, then the peace of Christ won't be fully known to those in your life. Church, we have an opportunity to bring the presence of Christ to others. If you're someone who is not yet a follower of Jesus and you, and you have questions about what it truly means to experience the presence of Christ, the peace of Christ in your life, what it, what it looks like to, to, to not quite be stretched to the point of snapping, then I would invite you, as, as you think about being stretched to the point of snapping, to, to take a moment to close your eyes And simply say, Jesus, I need you. For the first time in my life, I'm not going to think of myself as the hero of the story. I'm not going to think of myself as the Savior, as the good guy in my story. Jesus, I need you to be the hero of my story because I can't do it. And as you pray that prayer and as you echo that sentiment to God, God's going to stir in your heart to to respond to him, to to move on his behalf. And and if you're feeling stirred in your heart in this moment, reach out to us. Click the link below. Fill out that gen card so we can help you take that next step. So that as you feel stretched to the point of snapping, that you can go from being stretched to the point of snapping to, to being stretched to the point of serving. Church, we are able to extend the peace of Christ to others because when we feel stretched, we are not snapped, we are not crushed because we know that Christ has been crushed on our behalf. And so instead of being crushed, instead of being snapped, we can serve. And so the story of Matthew 2 and the story of Christmas is not simply about what happened 2,000 years ago in the New Testament or, or what even was prophesied in the old before that. It's a story about you and me showing this world what it looks like to have true peace. And it's not avoiding difficult conversations. It's not through pursuing power through our own means. It's not through 
finding satisfaction now through getting peace through comfort, but experiencing peace through the presence of a Savior. That there is hope in the midst of life's hurt. And that we have someone and something that we can rely on. And so church, this Christmas, we have an opportunity to not rely on our own will or our own way, but ultimately rely on the way of Jesus. And be bridge builders between others and God by pointing to Jesus. And we do that most perfectly and most profoundly when we serve not ourselves, but when we serve others. When, when we don't look at other groups of people and, and, and scorn or despise them, but ultimately serve them. See, God does not wait for favorable conditions. Christ is peace, and He goes into the unfavorable conditions to bring the presence of peace. And so, church, this holiday season, even as you watch this right now, we have opportunities to bring Christ's presence, to bring Christ's peace to others, because He has brought peace between us and God. And so, as we think about the stories we tell, may we be a people that tell the story of how Christ has brought peace to our lives by us serving others. Our ability to serve others confirms our peace with God. And right now you may be wondering, I'm in my home. How do I begin to serve someone else? A small act of kindness, a phone call during the season could be a way that you serve others. Maybe you need to reach out to someone who you've had a little bit of tension with and have that conversation and ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to bring someone or send someone a present, not because you think that will win their approval back or because you think it will fix all things, but because you know that you have the peace of Christ and therefore through serving, through giving, you can point to, you can tell the story of the presence of Christ in your life.